Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild wacky world of tabletop wargaming that we currently live in. It has been said many times, mostly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are so many good games that we can be playing today. It's hard to know which way to look, where to spend our hobby time, our hobby dollars. It's, it, it can be a little overwhelming. And that's the purpose of this podcast. Really just to talk about industry events, cool stuff that's happening, uh, events as in tournaments and different um, places that you can go play, the games that my guests and I are playing and enjoying, and just talking shop about the hobby in a really positive way. At least that's the attempt. And to help me with that tonight is one of, by far, my favorite guests to have on any podcast. You will know him as the successful TO of Australia's largest bolt action tournament, many, many years running, Um, the man, the myth, the legend, the one and only Pete West. Welcome back to Cast Ice, man. Okay, Brad, it's been a while. It has, it has, and oh my God, do we have a lot of good stuff to talk about. Oh, uh, before we begin, I guess the best place to start is, Pete, you're a man who plays many games. What is on your plate today? Uh, at the moment, I'm all about ships. So uh, dive dive deep into cruel seas. No no pun intended. Um, <laughs> nice. But, uh, yeah, loving me some uh, small boat action at the moment. It's a really great fast-paced game, and um, I'm having a lot of fun. Man, I don't know too many local players in Melbourne who've been playing it, but I keep hearing really fun things about that game. Um, tell me a little bit about it, man, because I have yet to... I mean, I, I talked to John Stollard, the author of it, uh, on the Warlord cast, and it sounded great, but then, you know, actually getting someone who's put the game through its paces and, you know, rolled some dice and put boots on the table, so to speak. Tell me a little bit about your experiences. Uh, it's really great because it's um, a very small scale. Like uh, generally, you're playing with anywhere between about two to eight small boats. And so, what I've really been enjoying it's easy to pick up a game. You can just go to the go to the game store, throw down a mat, and throw down six boats, and you're playing within five minutes. And um, games last anywhere from about uh, twenty minutes to maybe an hour and a half if you've got a, a bigger um, number of ships on the table. But, yeah, no, it's really just a great, fun game. It's not a particularly competitive-type game, mm-hmm. and it never will be. Uh, the uh, mechanics are such that you're not going to get a lot of um, precision out of the uh, movement and the firing. So it's one of those games you just have to have fun with it, and um, it's uh, uh, just um, quite a quite a good simple game anyone can pick up and um uh, you know i'm really enjoying it at the moment nice well i i guess i have to add as an additional question um for those who have not listened before uh pete and i besides um being guys who like to play a million different game systems uh, and sort of dig uh dig into a bunch of different rule sets we both have a a common passion of gi joe and as such i have to ask this question because uh, there is a guy who has made all of the G.I. Joe water vehicles, including the hydrofoil, in, the Cobra hydrofoil, including the water moccasin, including the G.I. Joe hovercraft, including the G.I. Joe devilfish, including the, um, the, the oil rig platform. You name it, it's there. And 
oh, it's, it looks so good. And I keep looking at it going, can I get this printed in 3D for Cruel Seas? Do you think that that is a rule set that one could adapt for, um, you know, 80s style uh, cartoon silliness on the tabletop? Yeah, hadn't even thought about that. I like the way your twisted mind works, Brad. Thank you very um, much. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I, um, the guns would be simple enough to do and the boats and the movement and all that sort of stuff. The missiles on some of the vessels like the um, the devilfish mm -hmm. would require a little bit of thought. But yeah, no, definitely. I think it could be done. Ooh, this is getting very exciting. I have to well, think about that. <laughs> You're telling me I'm sitting across the room from a 3D printer at the moment. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> and uh, I'm just thinking, how quickly could I print up a bunch of G.I. Joe vessels? <laughs> mm -hmm. I like the way you think, sir. You are a good <laughs> You're a bad, bad man, Brad. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> uh, well, Pete, not everyone likes G.I. Joe as much as us, so we should probably shift gears. Um, have you been looking at anything else recently? Oh, uh, yes. Um, I've been... I sucked into Warlords of Erewhon. Um, it's a great-looking game. It is. Um, I'm uh, starting to build up an army. I actually, unfortunately, haven't had a chance to play yet. Um, but, Sorry. Um, <laughs> no harm, no foul. Um, but I, uh, I'm starting, I'm printing off a, you, you'll like this one, Brad, I'm printing off a banana army. What? Um, <laughs> Go to Thingiverse and search Banana Knight, and you will see what I'm talking about. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I'm printing off a banana army, which I'll use as part of an undead list. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to having a lot of fun with that. Oh, man, that sounds awesome. My face is actually hurting from smiling so much, thinking about how ridiculous that is. Uh, all right. Well, I've been playing a fair bit of Erewhon. Um, I know we were supposed to play, and sadly, um, you were in town and I had gastro. And so that that didn't happen. Um, but I've got a few other uh, good games in recently. I've been playing a fair bit of it with my Barbarians, and I even got a couple games in with my Orcs now. Um, I really want to get Goblins down. Oh, there's just so many good armies in that game. If you like generic uh, fantasy, uh, it's just, I love that it's miniature agnostic and it's a Rick Priestley rule set that generally feels a lot like bolt action, but is thankfully noticeably different um, and really does have its own character. Um, I, I really do enjoy the game. I'm having a small event here in Melbourne on uh, April 6th at Good Games um, called Book of Grudges 2019. Just um, an intimate gathering of friends, so to speak. I never expected anything huge. Uh, I think at the moment we have six players, possibly seven. Uh, so if anyone happens to be around and wants to push some toy soldiers around, um, it is super noob friendly as we are all learning the game. But um, yeah, it'll be good times. I'm looking forward to it. Um, Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I'll mention that uh, on April 6th is the Anzac Cup here in Canberra. Nice. Um, I know uh, some of your previous guests are going to be doing some Star Wars Legion there, but um, mm -hmm. I'll be running a demonstration game of Cruel Seas at uh, the event. So if anyone wants to swing by and try out a few fast boats, um, you're most welcome to come by and check it out. Nice. And always look for Pete. He is great fun um, and just an awesome guy to talk shop with in person as we're doing online now. 
Um, so when is Anzac Cup? It's the sixth, you say, or is it the fifth and the sixth? Uh, it's oh, sorry, the uh, sixth and the, the fifth, seventh. Sorry. Yeah, the fifth is set up, so it's yeah, it's the sixth and the seventh. And are you going to be running games on both days or just the sixth? No, just the sixth. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll do some demo slash participation um, games of Cruel Seas and. Um, all being well, I hope to actually run a small Cool Seas event at uh, Wintercon in July. Nice. Um, it'll be a very friendly, casual event. As I say, um, Cool Seas is not really a competitive game, mm-hmm. um, so it'll be more about uh, throwing down some toys and uh, uh, raking the stern and crossing the tee. Nice. Well, that sounds fantastic. Uh, is it so? For years, you've been running CanCon as sort of the bolt action big show. And you were always running WinterCon as sort of your your playground, your sandbox to try out new rules, to implement different things, to try out to see what would work for the the big event. Um, but it sounds like this year you're definitely not running WinterCon, and you've retired from running CanCon. So, do we ask who has taken the reins? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so. A fellow bolt action player here in Canberra who was um, helped me at uh, CanCon this year, so some players will know him. A fellow by the name of Bruce Collins mm. um, has said he's going to um, step up and run WinterCon. I'll be um, helping him a little bit in the background, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, no, WinterCon's definitely going ahead uh, for a bolt action event, and um, I'm sure it will be just as good as ever. You know, after five years, I felt it was time to yeah. try some other things and to you know give someone else a go at um, running these things. They they're a lot of hard work, but it's also a lot of fun, and it, it is. gives you a chance to, you know, shape different approaches by the community to events and to try out different ideas. So, after five years of suffering through my ideas, I thought, um, let's give someone else a go. <laughs> right on, man. Well, um, I know a long time ago, um, Tristan from the Bacon Burgers talked about a a community award, um, someone, you know, acknowledging someone who's put a ton of work into the community. It was called the Burgerman, and unfortunately, he decided to give it to me for some reason. Um, it never really went past that. Um, but if there was ever anyone who deserved that, you know, award in Australia, Pete, you got to be on the shortlist, man. You have done so much to help promote the game um, over the years and just to help big up the bolt action scene and just you know, shepherding, uh, shepherding people, um, into the game and helping them along as they learn. So, man, I know I've talked about it in prior cast, but now that you're here, I actually have to say it. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I know I haven't been to CanCon in the last couple of years and I know few people ask me about that, but it was never because I didn't think you were the greatest to i mean you were probably one of the best tos for any event i've ever been to um and that is a lot of events so you will be sorely missed um and i am sure we will see you around the traps uh and i look forward to playing other games slash bolt action with you again soon well thank you very much that's very kind brad and i'm blushing furiously but uh it's i've got just as much back from the community as i've put in um i've met great people um i've uh Mm. really had fun interacting with many people including yourself over the years and it's given me a lot of great opportunities and absolutely i'm certainly not stepping away from bolt action um you'll people will see me around the traps and i'm still running the bolt Bolt action um, facebook page for australia and new zealand and still very much engaged just taking a bit of a break from toing really well, not actually even from TOing. I'm 
just moving on to some other games because mm-hmm. um, there's some really great games out there, as someone keeps saying. I wonder who. Um, <laughs> that um, I think need promotion and um, hopefully to get a community growing um, around those games and Cruel Seas being one of them, mm-hmm. um, Warlords of Erewhon being another one. I just, mm-hmm. you know, do what I can um, to help in through um, events here in Canberra to build a community around those games. Definitely, man. Definitely. Well, if I may segue badly, um, what is it that the guy who invented segways died of? He drove it off a cliff. Well, here's a segue worthy of that. Um, Peter is on this evening, ladies and gentlemen, to while we're talking about events that may have sort of wacky rules um, or try new things, um, I have Pete on to help me as a if pretty much the premier the most experienced Australian TO on to talk about the player pack that I just put out this week for Operation Bear. Um, Operation Bear in 2018 was the largest bolt action event in Melbourne history. We had 32 players. Uh, It was 1,111 points. Three games, one day, uh, two missions that were objective grabbers and one that was basic kill points. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. I mean, I think uh, people generally enjoyed themselves. There were nine awards on the day, and um, a lot of people had asked, "What was I going to run that event again? Uh, and I said, sure, I'll run it again. But um, I talked to quite a few people in the local community who wanted to try some different things. Um, some people said I should go really big points-wise, um, other people said I should, you know, stick to the 1,000 points. Uh, but I got to thinking and thought, why not go small? Uh, it's something that I actually started with when I started the original bolt action events in Melbourne. Um, the very first event that was held at Hampton Game Club after Conquest way back when was called This Is War. And I stumbled across the player pack and it was fairly small. Uh, and I said, you know what? Let's try that again. Uh, And so I went really small. So without further ado, Operation Bear 2019 is 667 points. Um, There are a few restrictions for that. I know immediately when I say that, a lot of people turn around and say, oh, Brad, won't free squads be really powerful? Well, there are a few restrictions for this event. Given the low points value, armies can't include a free unit of any kind. That includes arty observers, free squads, or free squads that you get if you buy two or more of a similar type, like the French have, for example. Um, Armies can have only up to two armored vehicles with armor of seven, or you can take one armored vehicle of eight or more. So if you wanted to take a Sturm Tiger, for example, not, you know, not knowing anyone who would do that, Nick, um, there is someone who is going to do that, but he's not allowed to take any other armored vehicles. He's sort of sacrificing his two slots of armor seven for one big tank. Um, armies cannot include more than three soft skin vehicles, full stop. Uh, armies must be made using the generic reinforced platoons and cannot contain more than one platoon. So it's a single platoon and it cannot be a theater selector platoon. It's got to be generic. Uh, forces cannot include more than one flamethrower. And tank platoons will not be allowed for this event. And one last um, 
comment I had a lot of people ask me about, and so I naturally... Well, I didn't naturally. I, I talked about it with some folks, thought about it a lot, and I am banning only one unit for the event, which is the German squad from the Western Desert book that gives the free LMG. Um, only because it is, you know, if you max out on that, you can effectively get enough points for another free squad. So I thought, since I'm giving, you know, not having free squads, I'll ban that one unit. Do I hate that unit? No. I actually like it a lot. I just think for this points value, it doesn't work. Now, Pete, those are a lot of rules and a lot of restrictions. And I know that you are a man who very famously said, you don't get tank fear or tiger fear on a Panzer IV unless it's veteran. So you're not afraid of a little controversy. What do you think about those rules and that points value? And please be blunt. It's good. I mean... It's um, different, it's interesting, and it's sort of what I like to do with um, Wintercon. Mm. Um, last year, I did a de-escalation event, which went down to 500 points. And of the five games, there was a 500-point game and a 750-point game. Mm -hmm. And the feedback I got from people is that they really enjoyed those small-point games, that they had a lot of fun with those. So I'm, you know, really... Uh, happy with uh, what you're doing for this event and the players pack I think looks great um, there's only one niggle I have and mm. um, uh, that is um, the limit to one platoon might limit some options um, mm. uh, that, we, that we might talk about a little bit in a little bit when we talk yes. about perhaps some listing but um, otherwise no I think it looks really good and um, the great thing about this point value is that it's gonna it presents an opportunity to explore or use some forces that just don't make sense at higher point values like right. a thousand points that mm -hmm. either because the, you just can't pull together enough bits and pieces that you know are, are historically or game uh, accurate for the unit mm -hmm. to make a good thousand point list or it's just they come from a period or place where their kit just doesn't work at those high, high point values absolutely yeah i i'm really looking forward to seeing what people bring out to this i know that since posting the pack, um, I've I've had a shocking number of messages about this event. Even before posting the player pack, I had a lot of people asking questions, uh, more so than literally maybe every other event I've run combined. Um, and people are asking, is this okay? What do you think about this? How about this? What about that? And people are really pushing the envelope, not, not in a bad way. I've had a few people trying to, you know, game it a little bit but uh, people are really coming up with some wacky ideas and they're looking as as an opportunity to get into some new armies um i know our buddy ruben over from the uh, bacon burger po uh, podcast is talking about taking yet another minor power army and he's thinking well i know he was talking about doing it anyway but this is the in his words the Oh, I, I'm trying to think of how he put it. I'm going to paraphrase him here. It's sort of the the kickstarted he needed to really get kicking into that project, which then he can roll into a larger army later. Um, I know that you know our old buddy uh, Jonathan from who was on for the Chinese communist episode that we had a few episodes back. Um, he's talking about doing the XY army Chinese for um, this event now. X and Y uses the national rules for the nationalists, uh, for the Chinese, which if you look at, there's only one rule. 
and that's a free squad, which I've banned. So um, he asked, you know, since they were trained by Americans, they're using American gear and they're using American vehicles, would it be completely outrageous if for this event I ran them as Americans or the free French rules out of the Battle of the Bulge book or the British or, you know, one of those armies that uses all of the gear that they are wearing? And I said, absolutely. Um, but it's a, it's a chance to get a brand new army on the tabletop. And I think it, it would just be cool, um, A, you know, to get those weird forces that we're talking about and we're going to spend some more time talking about in a few minutes. But also just if you've always wanted to play an army and you're like, uh, do I, I don't want to really get a thousand points up and running for an event in three months. Whereas 600 points, especially if you're taking a, you know, some sort of tank or two, man, that, that's not too hard to get painted, even for me. So even I'm looking at that going, I know I'm not playing, but I wonder if I could use that as an excuse to paint something that's 667 points. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I think you, it's a great point value to just get that impetus to start a new army because, as you say, you know, if you throw in a maybe an armored vehicle or a small tank of some sort mm -hmm. and maybe one other vehicle, I mean, you know, you're painting up possibly 20, 30 infantry on top of that, and that's pretty easy to do, particularly if you've got three months. Yeah, definitely. And, y yeah, plenty of time. I, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of kind of wishing I could play in my own event. Um, and I know some TOs do, but uh, especially for the bigger events, I like to uh, I like to not do that because of just the sheer number of you know things you have to do as a TO um, to make sure that things run smoothly. Um, as, a guy, as the guy who runs Cancon, I'm sure you know and do that because I've seen you do that. Yes. My number one rule as a TO is never play in your own event. There's, there's not enough brain space to both play and TO. Amen. I've done it a few times because I've had to, you know, players have had to drop out and I didn't have Gumbies and it was a small event. And in smaller events, I hate having a buy. So it was like, Oh no, no, I'll play, I'll play a round or two. And then at the end of it, I just feel like, you know, <laughs> going straight to sleep. Um, because, uh, it, yeah, both require a lot of brain space and bolt action in particular. I'm always tired, uh, after playing it. It's just a mentally challenging game. And that's one of the things I love about it. Yep, absolutely agreed. If you, um, I've been fortunate for the last couple of years that I've always been able to either have an assistant TO to throw into the fray or to be able to Shanghai passes by to fill any gaps. But yeah, no, I've only done it once or twice when I was really desperate and um, it never works well. I either yeah. end up um, stuffing up some of the tournament bit or I don't play a good game and that's not good for your opponent. Yeah, exactly. And 6,000 people then run at you and asking you questions while you're playing the game. And yeah, as you say, you're just not giving that person your full attention and, you know, that's not great either. So, yeah. Well, um, I guess... Let's move on from then there then. So the other thing that's sort of, I, I thought this was a unique opportunity is, uh, you know, in most one day events, you play three games. Um, I'm really excited to get a fourth game in. So I'm, to, to make that happen, not only is it smaller point values, but I'm using uh, four by four tables, which I know is a tad controversial. Um, and it will really force people to think about some of the weapons they take um, because some of the howitzers have a minimum range, kids. FYI, I'd check that if I was you. Um, and uh, 
by having small armies on small tables, I can cram in, you know, four games in one day. Um, so I'm pretty excited to give that a go. Um, I don't know. Have you ever run something, even with the de-escalation rain, uh, game or sorry, events with four by fours? No, I never, never tried a four by four. So I'll be very interested to hear how um, Operation Bear goes. I, it sounds like it's going to be very fast and furious. You're going to be up mm. in each other's face from turn one right off the bat. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I actually sounds really great. And um, I should say up front, unfortunately, um, I will not be attending either because um, it happens to be my son's birthday, and my wife tells me that I apparently can't miss that. But <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> that's a thing. Turns out, but, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, no, it sounds like a lot of fun. I just, I really like that idea and of being right, starting right up in each other's face and um, mm-hmm. not having that long, well, it's not drawn out, but you're just not having to have that bit at the beginning where you, you're just maneuvering to get into range with each other. Definitely. Well, uh, there's a few, speaking of that, and I'm glad you said that, there are a few bits and pieces that are not in the player pack that I am going to hint strongly at here. Um, I am in the process of writing missions for that event. Um, they will be based on things that folks have seen before. I don't want to throw completely new left field things at people because that takes time and I am shortening the rounds. However, um, I don't think that all the traditional missions as they're written will, maybe will fit a four by four table. Um, so there will be some changes um few modifications but if people are thinking oh do i really take a tow if i'm taking a, a something that needs to be towed the answer is absolutely kids um there will be at least one mission maybe more where uh you are not starting on the table and you need to come on in a first wave so you definitely want to make sure that happens and with the four by four table i think that is completely reasonable um then again i also don't want to slow down the game so it will be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, Pete, I know that you and I have both been playing bolt action for a million years. Um, somebody asked me when I started playing bolt action and podcasting about it the other day. I, I actually had to go back and look. Um, I have a blog post talking about an early episode of the LRDG from 2012, which makes me feel very old. Um, in your time playing and as a TO... If you have an army, if you're forcing armies to come in in a first wave and to not deploy on the tabletop, do you find that adds time or takes away time from a round? Because it, you don't have to deploy, but you do need to move everything on, if that makes sense. Um, I, look, I think the, the deploy, my experience is the actual deployment process of deploying units on tables often takes longer than actually just moving them on. Right. Um, people spend a lot of time thinking about deployment and how they're going to place units, and it can go rather slowly mm-hmm. um, as opposed to I'll just pull a dice out of the bag and move a unit onto the board. So I th- my experience is that it probably takes slightly longer to do the um, deployment than it does just to move on the board. That is my thought exactly. Um, I've done some demo games where I've taught new players to play on 4x4s um, only to speed things up, um, mainly because I was using smaller forces on a smaller table and it was just easier to show people how to the basic bolt-action mechanics work. Um, it just reminded me of my time uh, working for GW and doing demo games. And so I tried to make things, you know, fun, fast, furious, quickly. Um, and 
I th- the way I'm my experiences with that with the teaching people to play on a four by four. Uh, often in those games, I just said, "Hey, let's just pull dice out of the bag and move things on," and I was really pleased on how well that actually worked. So I think um, one or two of the missions at this event are going to be using that, perhaps more. We'll see. Um, will there be you know advanced deployment? Yeah, um, there will be in some of the missions. There may not be in all of the missions. And given that it's a four by four table, I'm not sure how far you're really going to get with that anyway. But um, it should be interesting. Um, do you have any thoughts about um, how the basic mechanics of the rules may change, maybe outflanking or for deploying uh, on a four by four table? Um, I know I'm sort of throwing that at you without any prior warning, but um, from your experience, what do you think? Yeah, I think outflanking is probably the one that's going to have to change. And look, for a four by four table, um, I, look, my temptation would just be to do away with outflanking. Um, I'm not sure how much it really is worthwhile on a four by four table anyway. So, um, yeah, I, but otherwise, I think I can't think of any immediate impacts that mm. you would need to worry too much about. I do know I have at least one Bulgarian player, so I'm tempted to um, keep out flanking into, uh, for some of it at least. Uh, but yeah, I was wondering about outflanking in particular, how that would work. Um, I don't know. Well, I think I need to play some good test games. I have plenty of time to trial the missions to make sure that things are balanced and fair. Um, and if it's one thing I do have, it's a collection of armies to um, to run things through and... Um, some good friends to play them with. So, yep, I think that will require further thought and discussion. Um, but I, before I forget, and it is always really important to remember these things, um, I would like to thank the sponsors of the event. And Pete, maybe you can talk about how some of these people have helped you in the past too. Uh, first and foremost, of course, Warlord Games. I mean, these are the guys who wrote Bolt, Bolt Action. And... Um, I think I need to quickly say, some people think that I'm a Warlord employee because I do the podcast. Um, I'm not. Um, I do. I am the host of the Warlord Games official podcast. Uh, I do a lot of work for them and with them, um, but I'm a glorified contractor. Um, I am not associated with Warlord Games other than the fact that you know I interview their guests uh, and talk about their games, um, but... I do have to say, I, 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 am, I love the fact that they make Bolt Action. They continue to put out books for Bolt Action and units. And man, their models are killing it at the moment. And um, they will be supporting this event in a big way. So I'm really happy um, with that. So thank you, Warlord Games. Um, are they one of your people as well, Pete? Uh, not directly. I, um, I, go th- I go through your other major sponsor, War yes. and Peace. The uh, people who, without whom, there'd probably be no bolt action tournaments in Australia. Full stop. Um, War and Peace have been stepping up for well since the beginning, literally. Um, and uh, they just prize, prize after prize after prize. These guys just um, make sure that every bolt action event in Australia, as far as I'm aware, has got good prize support. And um, the you know, without them, as I say, I. I the bolt action scene wouldn't be anywhere near as big as it is. And, you know, I guess just as importantly, we should say that they're a great source to buy all those new bolt action minis. You're going to need to build Mm -hmm. these um, new armies for uh, operation bear. 
That's right. And I just noticed because I was looking at their website um, to buy. Uh, I, I want a, a BA6 armored car for my um, for a Soviet army that may have been talked about recently on a different podcast. Um, but I noticed that they have the Romanians from Great Escape Games. And I'm just looking at them going, oh, yes. Um, you know, anytime you live in Australia and you can buy something and it, it cannot take weeks to arrive is amazing. Um, I was talking to one of the players, uh, a Japanese paratrooper player for Operation Bear, um, right before coming on tonight. Have you noticed all the cool armies already? I'm loving this. Um, and he was like, yep, I want to bring a tank. I want to add it to my list. I want it to be historical, but I also want to make it a tank that I can get from War and Peace because they're supporting the event. And that is awesome. I think that speaks, I mean, that alone is just giving back to the people who give back to us. And as you say, they've been supporting the events since they started. Um, I bought my first Tiger, which was my first tank for bolt action from them. Um, within you know minutes of getting the rules from uh, Warlord, I was like, I'm not waiting in line for this again. And I've been buying from them ever since. And Ian and John are amazing guys, and they really do go out of their way to help people out. And you know, when I was learning the game, they really had um, the knowledge. And man, they just take the time to talk you through stuff. It's just cool. It's not like you're being rushed off the phone for the next person. They really are just great dudes. And I cannot speak highly enough of them because they've supported literally every event I've ever run um, and offered to do more. They are just the best. So if you have not checked out War and Peace Games, um, again, that's warandpeacegames.com.au. Um, man, they, they pack it up and they ship it right away. Definitely got to check it out. And while we're talking about folks who support events that I run, um, there's a gentleman that many of you know uh, from other game systems, maybe not so much in Bolt Action Land, uh, our old buddy Michael Cruz. Um, he lives in Canberra, so you might know him, Peter. Um, he runs a company called Laser Shark Designs, which is an up-and-coming... Uh, actually, he's been with us for quite a while now. Uh, and he does a lot of really cool laser-cut tokens, um, trophies. He's done some really spectacular stuff uh, for me in the past. And one of the things that I loved about Operation Bear last year, last year that I was able, able to provide was um, I asked Mike to make me some one-off uh, custom objective markers. Uh, in the military, you have coins. You know, you can drop the coin. Um I'm, well, I'm not recommending you throw acrylic on the floor. It'll probably break. Um, I and I'm not in the military, nor do I want to, you know, dishonor that tradition. Um, I do like the idea of giving players something special from the event if you are able to make it. So players last year got a blue Operation Bear um, 40 millimeter objective marker um, that they could just slip in their pocket and take out on the on the day. Everyone got one. This year, we will be doing something similar. Um, I know that Mike's been playing with this technology, and the objectives that he did for Suns Out, Guns Out, um, which I ran later last year, were amazing. And he's going to do the same thing again. And just like other events, he is going to be doing some trophy plates. And thanks to our good friend Muddy Funster, um, he got us some really cool, super deformed Japanese... Um, little plastic tanks to put on the top of trophies. So um, I think we're going to have some really cool stuff on offer at that event. 
Um, and again, without um, Mike, I just I don't know how I would make that happen. Um, but speaking of awards, um, and Pete, I'm going to ask you for your opinion on some of these. Um, we have, again, just like last year, nine awards on offer. There is the traditional podium, uh, third, first, second. Um, I know that's in a weird order, sorry. Um, we also have traditional trophies like Best Sportsman, which is um, player determined, where everyone votes, and the person who has the most votes as Best Sport um, gets that trophy, which is a really important one for me because it, it's, it's just... Community is such an important part of Bolt Action that without it, I, I think that I know some people see sportsmanship trophies as disingenuous, um, but I think it is important to remember to be thinking about the feelings of your opponent when you're playing these games. Um, Pete, what are your thoughts on sportsmanship trophies? Um, I've never awarded them, but that's not because I have a particular um, concern about them or anything. And I mm. think, you know, particularly where you want to pitch your competition. I think you've made it very clear in the players pack where you're pitching it, that a sportsmanship award is a great, great ad. Mm. Um, I think that uh, it really, you're right. It is about getting people to come in with the right attitude and rewarding that attitude on the day when um, people play to the, to the, um, the intent of the event. Mm. Yes. I, I think so anyway. Um, and I think it worked well last year. So um, it's a tradition I'm looking forward to continuing. Um, in that same vein, um, all the local Melbourne events, um, the, uh, I, the name of the, the, the local uh, event group has failed me at the moment, um, but everyone always has the best painted trophy. And I know that that is something that a lot of Melbourne players, uh, a few in particular, really look forward to. Uh, and so I'm going to continue that. Um, and that will be, again, player determined. So players will vote um, for their favorite army. Uh, and sort of as with that, I'm, I'm offering a second trophy that is called Best Theme. Um, and that's determined by the TO. And that's um, sort of following something that is really historical and very cool. Um, if, you know, for example, we're talking about maybe a force that is made up entirely of only things that were used by the Marine Raiders when attacking the, uh, the Macon Atoll. That might be amazing. Um, you know, really limiting yourself, but also, you know, modeling and everything sort of coming together to have that force um, to match his history, if that makes sense. Pete, am I explaining that right? Yeah. I mean, that was always my favorite award at the event, that being able to T.O. give out a Hanno Swag Award every mm -hmm. year. And it's always fun. Um, you know, it's not necessarily the best painted army. It's not necessarily the um, best army on the day. It's really looking at all those armies. And in, in some senses, you know, it's about the effort that people have put in. It's about the historical accuracy mm -hmm. and, you know, it's all of that wrapped up. And I usually find that um, there's one army at every event I've been to that just says something to me. And I, I, I've never had a trouble awarding the Hanno swag. I mean, there's always lots of great armies, but mm. there's always seems to be one that sort of just stands that bit out. And mm -hmm. um, 
I think uh, this year at uh, CanCon, it was a Chetnik army, so you know, the Serbian royalists in World War Two, and awesome. someone had um, uh, green stuffed all those Chetnik hats. The, they've got this funny sort of hat that no mm-hmm. one does at the moment. So um, both the theme, the work that they'd done to build that army out of and do that specific uh, tailoring of the army just all made it stand out and. Um, didn't do very well on the day. Um, did okay, but uh, didn't do great. Yeah. Um, certainly wasn't in line for any award, but it just, you know, was so much fun to both look at if you're on the other side of the table. And I'm sure it was a lot of fun to play. Totally, man. Well, I, I, what you're describing in there, a lot of the, I mean, you talked about the view, visual cues that matched the theme. And that army had a beautiful theme, as you say, um, and the units that were picked in it played into that. Um, I've tried to separate those out a little bit. Um, so I have the best theme, which is exactly what you're talking about. But then I also have the Hobby Hero Award, which is, again, um, TO awarded, um, which is for next-level conversions, um, sort of painting and theming um, combined, uh, you know, great basing. Uh, notice I'm not talking about display boards here, kids. Um, just the army itself. Now, a display board might be part of that. But it's it's the taking that to the next level, um, and uh, you know, talking to people who are coming to this event already, there's some pretty special hobby coming to this. So I'm looking forward to seeing what people put on the table. Um, also, this is an event that I really want to encourage new players. Last year there was a focus on. Um, so I'm 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 not being draconian necessarily with the listing that comes in. I know that's what the player pack says. Um, but I do encourage players to really think about um, as if they would be playing new players. Like you don't have to take something that is going to curb stomp a noob um, to you know get joy in this event. Um, the idea is that I already have a number of players who have either never played in a bolt action event or Um, have only played in a few who are coming to this event. And for those people, you know, I just want them to feel welcome and it to be a fun, laid-back environment. And so I'm giving the Best New Player Award. Um, And so it's your first or second ever bolt-action event. Come along. You're eligible for a trophy. Um, You know, I know last year, I think, one of the players who was eligible for that podiumed. So um, there you go. Um, so if you're a new player, come along, have some fun. Um, and we also have one last award, um, which is, um, well, you know, for those people who really don't worry about, um, taking all the efficiencies in the medal list and really kind of want to take something, I don't know, kind of fun. Um, now that could be historically accurate or, you know, just something kind of wacky and out there. Um, and it's called the Bolt Action Badass. And that's for players that take a list that sort of bucks the meta and avoids the obvious efficiencies and combos. Um, you know, it just, I really want people to look at this event as an opportunity to do something completely different. And I want to reward that. Um, you know, I will have the traditional trophies in there, but I'm not giving out a best general award. I, I'm not really interested in saying, oh, good job, you you kicked everyone's heads in. Um, I, I just want people to come and play games and have a good time and take some stuff that you don't usually see and have some fun while you're doing it. Um, Pete, what do you think? Is that Do you think those awards sort of pull that together, or is there something that I should add to that? I don't know. I think you got the waterfront covered there. Um, 
I uh, only wish I could uh, come along and play. Um, speaking of which, I know that you have, t- as T.O. have said, you're not going to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure, like me, um, as soon as I read the players pack, I started to do listing in my head <laughs> as to what I what yes. I would like to bring. And two lists immediately sprang to my hold, mind. Hold on, one hold is on. A- I am going to stop you there for one quick second because I know you're segueing beautifully. But I almost forgot we have one more sponsor. And I did. It's a late ah. sponsor. Came on just now. Um, but I did not want to forget to mention Titan Terrain New Zealand. Um, now, these guys um, do a lot of really cool uh, laser cut MDF and different types of terrain. Um, and they are, you know, again, local. They're as in New Zealand, not Australia, but their stuff looks sweet. They only came on today, and uh, I've been looking at the, the pictures online of their stuff. I'm going to be ordering some of this stuff just to see what it looks like in person, but God, it looks good. So if you have not uh, looked at Titan Terrain New Zealand, there's several Titan uh, Terrains. So if you go to Facebook, look up Titan Terrain NZ, um, and they are uh, there, and you can find them. And their website is www.titanterrain, spelled T-I-T-A-N-T-E-R-R-A-I-N dot N-Z. So uh, just like Michael, they do a lot of laser cut stuff, um, although I think they do more terrain. And uh, Michael at Laser Shark, while he does a lot of great terrain, I think he also does more templates um, and trophies and just really cool gaming accessories. And I think, um, yeah, I'm just, man, I'm just excited to have so many Australian companies involved with this. Um, I will hopefully be adding more sponsors closer to the day. Um, I've been talking to a few people, but at the airing of this episode, when the player pack is out, hey, those are what we got. Um, Now, really quick before we get into Pete's awesome segue that I so rudely derailed, um, there is one last thing, and I have had a number of people asking, when can I pay? When can I register? How does that work? Um, In order to register, as always, all you have to do is contact me and pay me via PayPal. Um, The information is in the player back. Um, It is $25. Um, What I'm hoping to see is what I had last year where people paid something like $20, $25, in this case $25, and they ended up going home with more dollars worth of prizes than that Um, due to the generosity of our sponsors. Uh, I'm hoping that even though I'll be buying swag and making trophies and everything else, um, we will have excess um, of an excess of prizes for so that everyone goes home with something cool. Um, I guess it just comes down to how many players we have and what we're able to do. Um, but no one's ever left one of my events empty-handed unless they wanted to. Um, so anyway. Um, the event is at Good Games Melbourne, the one on Lonsdale Street. It is a fantastic venue. Um, since last year, they have more, uh, they've opened things up, so there'll be more space for players to play in. Um, they have added a giant bolt action section to their stock. And yeah, they are just awesome dudes. They run great events. Their venue was top notch. And I'm just really excited that they've, uh, host, they've, they've allowed me to come back to host my event in their shop. And I think the one last thing that I should mention is August 4th is when this event is. It is uh, in August, not in July this year. So please plan accordingly. Um, Please contact me at the Cast Dice page 
um, if you would like any more information. Pete, have I forgotten anything, um, or can we talk fun armies? Uh, it sounds like you got everything covered to me. Whew, okay, I can breathe again. Oh, so many things on the list. Oh, thank God. So, Pete, take us away, man. Take us to some segues, because as you were saying, man, there are some cool-ass armies that you can do at this points level that maybe don't work at standard bolt action. Um, I know a few have sprung to mind, and, man, they are rippers. Talk to us, brother. Well, as I was saying, I'm not coming, but I've definitely started listing. Nice. Um, <laughs> two armies immediately sprang to mind, and I thought, oh, I'd love to bring those. Mm -hmm. And one is one that's a blast from our collective past, our LRDG2 days. Mm -hmm. um, and the other one is a historical army that I've been slowly collecting information on, on over a period of time that I've really wanted to do. And I think it would just be perfect for this point level because I don't think it would work at a higher point level. Mm. So... Um, the, uh, the one from our past is, um, you may remember some time ago, we discussed the Macon Marine Raiders and you've mm -hmm. already talked about them today, but I think that at the time we talked a lot about, well, could you make it work at a thousand points? And mm -hmm. I think it was going to be a struggle, it but I think at 667 points, you could do a, a great little ra uh, Marine force of Marine Raiders, um, and the other one that, as I say, they've been collecting information on for a while, and I just stumbled across this as one of those historical oddities you read about as you surf the net, and that is the Italian Marines in the Italian concession in China who had a very um, dramatic end to, the, to their war when Italy surrendered and the Japanese moved in to um, take possession of the Italian concession mm -hmm. in China who... Um, sort of fought a very heroic and last stand um, uh, against the Japanese, and I think that they just make a great little force. That is so cool. Now, I, you mentioned that in one of the posts, because I've been, um, there's a local event coming up um, that is going to be a Chinese versus Japanese, uh, sort of nine, circa 1930s um bolt action uh campaign day coming up in the next couple of weeks so i've been feverishly painting my japanese and chinese bits and pieces to finish my existing armies and you posted that link and i pretty much fell out of my chair um so we're talking about italians italian garrison troops in china um when italy um you know surrenders and uh rather than having those forces go to the allies um the Japanese go in to capture what they'd been guarding and to capture the troops. Um, now that is a fascinating little footnote in history um, that I definitely never learned about in school or any of the other bolt action research I've done. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, the conflict that, that occurred because of that and who was involved? Because that is, I think on both sides, that would be a really interesting conflict to play out on the tabletop. Yeah, it's one of those stories that just grabs you. I mean, as most people probably have some vague sense that um, at the end of, you know, the turn of the 1900s, the Western powers had these concessions in mm -hmm. China, um, particularly after the Boxer Rebellion. So all of the nations had basically their own little territory carved out in parts of China, usually the port cities. Um, so um, Shanghai and uh Ten Cien, I think I'll try and I'll, I'll use as the pronouncement. Mm -hmm. um, and oddly enough, the sort of um, Italian concession was the last one left standing because the 
Germans lost their concessions sort of as a result of World War One. Um, the Brits and the Americans, obviously, when Japan declared war, their concessions were overrun in China. Mm-hmm. Um, and France, as the Vichy power, held out for a little while. But by 1943, they handed their concession over to the Japanese puppet government in China. But the, as um, part of the Axis, the Italians were sort of this little oddity that the, their concessions um, were left untouched by the Japanese um, right up until the point where the Japanese, uh, the Italians surrendered to the Allies. So um, there was a, a garrison in the Italian concession, um, a garrison of actually Marines from the San Marco Division, which I know you're well aware of as a oh, result yeah. of your research into Italian paratroopers and Italian Marines. Um, and so... Uh, they'd been garrisoning in China since the 1920s. Um, they'd been a Marine garrison there. And um, they're about, uh, they had a garrison in both Shanghai and, as I say, in Tencien, where their main concession was. Mm-hmm. And when the Italians surrendered to the Allies, the Japanese moved in to possess it. But both in Shanghai around the radio station, which was the Italians' connection back to the Italian mainland, and also in the concession itself, uh, the Marines decided they weren't going to just surrender, that they would fight. So in both cases, they fought the Japanese for about 12, 24 hours. Obviously, it was against overwhelming odds. Yeah. The Japanese had a very large army in China at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they not only was it overwhelming odds, but um, the Italians obviously didn't have a lot of heavy weapons or armour or tanks. Mm-hmm. And so it was really just a heroic but ultimately useless sort of last stand um uh but it you know the combination of the maroons the combination of the last stand it's just makes it a really interesting force um and i've sort of started collecting some figures that um i because the marines are quite distinctive Mm -hmm. units with their own sort of um uniform Mm -hmm. and there was a bunch of sailors there as well because there were Italian ships in both ports and the sailors had been brought in to bolster the Marines. So you've got this really interesting mixed force. They don't have any heavy weapons. They had um, light howitzers. They had an armoured car or two. And they had some trucks and, you know, small arms, mortars, grenades, rifles, that sort of thing. So at 1,000 points, you'd struggle to make that work against any sort mm-hmm. of, I think, allied list or axis list with strong armor but at 667 points it'd just be a really little fun um force to field yeah man that sounds awesome now for those who are wondering um and i'm going to get back to the models in just a second um i know that sometimes people uh, italy's not one of the armies that people know tons about uh, and sometimes when they do, they sort of hear about sort of two flavors. You hear about, you know, bog standard, regular Italian troops, or you hear about the paratroopers, as we've talked about on this podcast many times before. In this particular case, there is actually an entry in the Armies of Italy and the other minor powers book for the San Marcos Marines. Um, so in case you're wondering, and I actually had to look this up before the episode tonight because I forgot that they had a special rule. Um, so if we go to the San Marcos um, Marine, so it's on page 18 of that book. 
They are a veteran squad for five guys that cost 70 points, and they come standard with rifles. You can add up to four more guys for 14 points each. So they get up to nine points. I'm uh, sorry, nine guys, I should say. Um, the NCO can have a pistol instead of a rifle, uh, at which point they are three points less. Or the NCO can have a, a submachine gun instead of a rifle for plus three points. Um, one guy can have an LMG. Another guy becomes a loader. And the entire squad uh, can be given anti-tank grenades for two points a man. Now, they get Tank Hunter if they do that, of course. But they also have the rule behind enemy lines. And that means when outflanking, as described it, on a out-of-date page number in the rule book, because it's version 1, not version 2, um, units of the San Marco Marines ignore the minus one to the order test for coming onto the table. Now, I don't know if that necessarily reflects this army, um, or at least the army in this conflict. However, they are 14-point veterans with a cool rule, um, and it's, they're just not a unit you see every day. Um, now, Pete, I have to ask, where are you getting these models? Because when you said you have been collecting models, there is literally not another human being I know who can find more obscure bolt-action models than yourself. And I literally did the Scooby-Doo when you, you know, when you said you were collecting models for these guys. Where are you finding these? Okay, so um, I've in my searches, I've been looking for images of these guys. Mm -hmm. um, and... Interestingly enough, it looks like they were kitted out with the 1930s um, Italian kit, and I can't see any indications they modernised. Um, mm. So they're still wearing the Adrian helmets um, mm -hmm. that were issued in the 1930s. And so Empress Miniatures does, within their Spanish Civil War range, does um, Italian Expeditionary Force figures with the Adrian helmets. That's cool. Yeah, so that's a good start. Unfortunately, the um, there isn't anyone at the moment producing, I guess, dedicated um, Italian marine figures, mm -hmm. um, which are the sort of big floppy hat, and um, they've got like a sailor's um, uh, shirt with a you know that sort of big open front and the mm -hmm. necktie sort of on it. So I haven't been able to find any of those. Um, I've got some late war um, Italian Marines in the sort of turtleneck jumpers um, from Italian company who I can no longer find. Oh. Um, but, but um, yeah, so I'm mainly going with the Empress figures at the moment because um, mm -hmm. they've got that nice 1930s look to them. That's cool, man. And uh, albeit um, a lot of the forces in China, I know that the ja even the Japanese forces that were in China at the throughout the most of the war and i mean it's often talked about how you know the 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 island hopping campaign um that japan and then the allies undertook um that went back and forth it, that's what we commonly think of as war in the pacific but if you actually do your research about the japanese forces in china there was a enormous number of japanese soldiers and support personnel in China during that war. I mean, it, it's staggering. Um, had the Japanese been able to shift them out of China, um, the Allies would have had a far more uh, difficult time getting to the home islands. Um, it's just a huge number. But 
a lot of those troops um, were green or were inexperienced or were old veteran troops that had sort of been cycled out. Um, and they had older equipment. So much like the Italians who were sort of wearing circa 1930 uniforms, the Japanese um, were often using older weaponry. I mean, the Japanese were using older weaponry throughout the war, as in the Arasaka rifle, for example, and the submachine guns, for example. But a lot of the armored vehicles that existed in Manchuria and China are way older. Um, so it really does, if you were going to have that battle between Japanese forces and the Italians in that it would it would very much look like a, a conflict of you know late 1930s mid 1940s and I think actually some of the Italian armored cars could have possibly been newer kit than a lot of what the Japanese might be fielding um, is that basically jive what you've been researching Pete yeah well it looks from what I can determine from some obscure pictures I think the actual the Italian armored cars they had four of them um, were actually the IZ model, um, oh, which okay. is the Lancia um, model that's in the bolt action um, Jewel in the Sun campaign book. And oh, it's okay. that big clunky one with the really big turret. And there's the option of making it a multi-turreted sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But as far as I can tell, the ones they had in China were just the single turret version, but okay. um, they're from 1930s. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, uh, you can get that from Warlord. Oh, yeah. um, they do an IZ model, and um, the light guns, um, I haven't been able to find any pictures of, but Warlord does a nice light howitzer, but also um, the Perry brothers in their Italian desert range do a, a 1930s light Italian howitzer, which yeah, I think would also be good. Mm-hmm. And Empress does one as well, I believe. Um, the Mouth of Madness had one at one point, um, and I'm pretty sure he got it from them. Although, compared to some of the other bolt-action stuff, it is a little on the small side. But if you're using Empress models, I can't imagine that that wouldn't be a scale fit. Yeah, that'd be fine. Absolutely. All right, well, cool. Um, Pete, do you want to add anything else that... Um, because, I mean, that just sounds, some support weapons, a few armored cars or an armored car, um, some basic Marines, you know, a lieutenant, possibly an officer. And, you you know, Bob's your uncle. You're ready to rock and roll on that tabletop at 667 points. Um, is yep. there anything that jumped out at you in your listing for this? Or did you sort of not get beyond what I just described? Uh, I think that's pretty much what I'll take, although I'm, I'm just doing a bit more research and I think I can probably include an inexperienced squad of um, basically Italian citizens who have taken up arms to support the uh, Marines during the Japanese attack. That would be cool. Oh man, you do the coolest forces. That is, I would, I can't, I hope you actually do this for us, Pete, because I would love to see this on the tabletop. And regardless of your uh, availability to come to Operation Bear, if you come to town, my friend, I have the circa 1930s Japanese armored car and all um, that I can put on my side of the table. And I know we got some four by fours and some, uh, some, some terrain we can put down for this. This sounds like a, a battle for the ages. Absolutely. It sounds like something that must be done. Yes. Well, let's talk about the other force. Um, now, I've been quite passionate about um, one of these units for quite a while. Um, 
I I love the idea that um, there was a turning point for the Allies, that the Japanese were sort of this unstoppable force in the Pacific that kept beating everyone back, um, kept capturing everything. And there was this, this mystique that the Japanese couldn't be beaten. Um, and in that in that time period, um, the United States created the uh, U.S. Marine Raiders. Um, they were like a special forces unit within uh, the Marine Corps who were sort of specialized troops to start with. Um, and they were eventually disbanded, and several of their number, uh, famously, after the unit's dis, uh, dis, disbandment, um, became the flag bearers in the very famous Iwo Jima um, United States flag being raised. Um, so it's got it's a unit with a proud history. And um, the gentleman that um, brought the whole sort of thing together um, had fought in China and had um, and had picked up this sort of team building, um, I mean, it's it's sort of an anathema of um, what was sort of seen in the military at the time where, you know, officers and troops would get together to discuss things honestly um, and sort of equally in these little meetings um, that, you know, the, the hierarchy was sort of thrown out the window as, you know, people thought of solutions to problems together. Um, and of course, that guy's name was uh, Lieutenant Colonel Evans Carlson, um, and they were Carlson's Raiders. Now, there were two Marine battalions, but one of them, the elite 2nd Battalion under Carlson, dyed their uniforms black uh, and boarded submarines and raided uh, on the 17th and 18th of August, 1942, uh, the Ma uh, Macon Island slash Atoll, um, which was a... Really interestingly, a Japanese, not an airfield, but a seaplane base, um, which, you know, is it's pretty out there. Um, and what was kind of considered a failure at the time um, turned out to be uh, a press victory for the Allies in that it was claimed that they beat the Japanese. And it was an operation that didn't exactly go well. And if you can find the old episode of the old LRDG2, we do go into a fair bit of detail about it. However, um, it's just a really interesting force, this Raiders. Um, there is a unit entry for them in the Empires of the Sun book. Um, you can actually take Marine Raiders. And what's interesting is they come in squads of three to nine or 10. I have to double check that. Um, but you can take um, the usual Marine, to all the toys, um, which is, you know, you can take up to three bars, three SMGs. You can take up to three pistols. You can take um, some assorted shotguns. Um, and w in researching this unit for the episode that Pete and I talked about before, um, I learned a few things. One, um, the force was ba basically broken into fire teams of three men. One had a bar, one had an SMG, and uh, one had a rifle. And sometimes that one of them had a pistol. Um, and sergeants often had um, what was essentially a shotgun. So you can, using that one entry, make a really interesting force. Um, now, they did have a couple mortars. Um, they did have a couple of sharpshooters who you would consider snipers, so you can add those to your army. But rather than your traditional American bazooka, these guys had two uh, anti-tank rifles. 
and they had um, they didn't have airplanes they could call in like a standard American list. Um, they could call in uh, what is it rocket strikes from the submarine that dropped them. So there's a lot of really interesting listing opportunities you can do for these guys. Pete, you want to talk about this? Yeah, no, it was a really, as we discussed last time, a really interesting raid. And I just have to add the point that those boys' rifles were critical because when the Japanese tried to land reinforcements by seaplane, they shot up the seaplane with the boys' anti-tank rifles. Mm -hmm. So uh, they were really critical to the mission. Um, But this is what I was saying. This is the only thing about your listing rules that I would, if I was going to build this force, I would have liked to take two boys' anti-tank rifles. But... um, Mm -hmm. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Um, but no, look, really great, um, unique force, particularly the black pajamas, going to make them really stand out and pop. Yes. And one of the reasons I'm really interested in these guys and what has made them even more interesting since we last spoke about them is that um, Brigade Games in the US has actually released some uh, marine early marine raider models, which mm-hmm. include the um, special... Um, Riesling, Riesling machine gun that they had been issued. Because mm-hmm. um, at that stage, most of them, the Marines didn't have Thompsons. They were using a Marine issued um, machine gun, which turned out to be a piece of crap. But mm-hmm. um, that that was what they were using. So there's some really great models with those unique weapons that the Marines had for that road now. And I'd love to um, paint them up and field them. Yeah, I was surprised when I read that because a lot of the art that I have um for that raid um which has them in the distinctive black pajamas it's the only time and place they ever wore those dyed uniforms um they're carrying some thompsons and i'm thinking wait a minute that that's not right um i think some artistic licenses were taken in some of those uh artistic uh representations so yeah well i I also think that from what I've read, some of the Marines weren't particularly happy with the Marine-issued uh, Risling machine guns, and they uh, went out and appropriated uh, some Thompson machine guns. Mm-hmm. That's right, because some of the uniforms that um, they were, I mean, clearly we've talked about the dyed uniforms, um, but they were wearing, you know, sort of khaki helmet covers, um, some of which had camouflage patterns, so you can really do something interesting uniform-wise. But they also didn't have um, the gaiters or the boot covers. They actually um, wore their pants sort of out, and they were wearing dyed black in many cases. Um, I think they were called boat shoes or deck shoes. So they were essentially wearing sort of black, what we might know as now as sort of Converse All-Star sneakers um, without the white tips. So um, it's a really original-looking force. God, I think it would just be so much fun to put it on the tabletop. I was thinking for a thousand-point game, how many three-man units I could squeeze in? How many platoons? Can I can I take three platoons in this? Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I again, not very effective, but I think it would be a lot of fun and like a lot of just you wouldn't see anything like it. Yeah, no, I think that. That's one of the reasons I'd really like to to run these guys. It's just such a such a unique force, and there's so many um, good models these days for Marines, and um, particularly if you can get a couple of those brigade ones with the special weapons, it's mm-hmm. just gonna gonna really look great on the table. And um, at that points value, it's really an opportunity to do this 
unique force that, as we've discussed, I just don't think works at a thousand points. Huh, no, not not easily, not not probably, but you know, it might be fun. I was looking at um, my war, my pile of Warlord plastic sprues the other day, and I realized I have a bunch of the new um, Sikh infantry, um, the Indian troops, and for the desert. And it occurred to me as I was looking to that that man, the ATR, the anti tank rifle, the boys one on that sprue would be perfect for my Marine Raiders. Because um, the last time we talked about this subject, I had built uh, almost, what, 60 Marine Raiders using a combination of the Assault Group models and Warlords models to make um, pretty uh, models I was pretty happy with um, historically. But the one thing I didn't have was the anti-tank rifle to go with them. And I think that new plastic one on the Warlord sprue will fit perfectly. So I think if I get some of those Brigade SMG guys, throw that in there, I think I'm going to be cooking with gasoline, Pete. I think it's going to be good. Sounds like a a fun army. God, I don't know if I can paint that much black, though. It might might have to be dirty gray. We'll have to see. Oh, well, um, speaking of uh, some of the new Warlord uh, Commonwealth troops, segueing to LRDG, um, I did mention in the last episode that um, WWPD is, um, I think, finally dead and gone. I think it has disappeared. Now, for those who don't know, uh, WWPD was the website that boltaction.net was attached to now boltaction.net was home to the original bolt action podcast of course we had the ba bolt action radio with dano and judson um we had the original lrdg we had the ghost army podcast um the bacon burger started out there the lrdg2 was there which is what this show eventually turned into um and it was just a really special time uh, for a lot of us, um, as far as the the bolt action game went, and yes, I I won't get <laughs> I won't get nostalgic this time uh, like I did last time, but I did want to sort of take a second to remember the passing of that, all the articles that were written for that site, and I know a lot of them still kind of lurk on the internet, um, but it is sad to see that go. Um, I was feeling a little nostalgic and. Um, I've recently uh, attended the wedding of uh, the Mouth of Madness from the old LRDG cast, and so we talked. We talk shop. We keep up. Um, we you know catch up for uh, tasty beverages every now and again. And um, Lachlan decided to uh, break his Bolt Action uh, Second Edition cherry. He had not played Bolt Action in Second Edition. It had been that long, uh, but he pulled out his Marines, and I pulled out uh, a generic. Uh, German army so he could sort of check out the new rules. Um, I brought a ton of stuff. I sort of threw it all out and I said, what do you want to face? And he decided that he wanted to see what tank destroyers would do. So I pulled out um, my uh, Jag uh, Panzer IV um, and my Hetzer and he pulled out a matching Sherman and Stuart M5, Stuart I should say, um, and I took sort of some generic regular Germans and he took, um, his veteran Marine list, uh, from the end of version one and man, it is a gorgeous army. Uh, and I was so glad to just a, see him across the tabletop, but see that army again. Um, and it's interesting. Um, and I bring it up particularly in this episode because the last time that he and I had played, um, 
was a very intense affair, I should say, um, in CanCon years and years ago uh, at your event, Pete. Um, and it was I think that was the first CanCon you ran. So to go back in history and to sort of replay that match, because we hadn't played bolt action since, we'd played lots of other games, just not that. Um, it was really good, and it was... Uh, he had a blast. I had a blast. Um, it came down to literally the last die pull on turn six, um, and it drew the game. So it was just, it was a nail biter. It swung both ways. I thought, he thought I had him at turn two. I thought he had me in turn four. And in turn six, we pulled the draw with our forces both extremely depleted. Um, but it was, uh, it was fantastic. So, Gang, if you uh, if you have that guy that you you know you know and you love and you just haven't played in forever, um, I highly recommend you reach out and touch a friend. Um, it was it was a wonderful experience and uh, one that I'm really happy that I did and I hope to to do again soon. Pete, uh, mate, I gotta say thank you again for coming on. It is always amazing to talk to you. Um, you always bring so much to the cast. Um, is there anything you want to add or talk about before we roll out? No, it's always fun to catch up, Brad, and um, look uh, all the best for Operation Bear. I look forward to hearing all the post-battle reports and, more importantly, about all the cool armies that uh, come out on the day. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I'll uh, be looking forward to the Cast Ice episode talking about all that. You got it, man. And it, it, it <laughs> like Christmas, it'll be coming. Um, it is, I guess that's how we do it. But, uh, Pete, again, thank you for everything you've done for the Bolt Action scene. I know it's not goodbye, but um, this is your first post-stepping-down-from-CanCon appearance on the show. Thank you. Um, I, yeah, I cannot express in words how much you've done for the community, and um, I, I do not lightly say that, and I feel sort of hokey and cheap saying that, but honestly, I, I don't know where we'd be if you weren't you know, helming the big event um, and turning sort of the Australian East Coast bolt action scene into what it is today. So again, thank you. Always a pleasure, Brad. And uh, look look out for me at a Cruel Seas table near you. Yes. All right. Well, whether you're playing Cruel Seas or bolt action or Warlords of Arawan or any other game, as always, I hope your beverages stay very cold. I hope your dice are rolling hot. But more than anything else, when you're playing the games that we know and love, I hope you are having fun, because that's the name of the game. Fun. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to Cast Dice. Good night.
gone. And that track. 